when I've mentioned to at least, at least a few of you on a couple of occasions that uh, uh, Julie and I, our Christmas present to ourselves this year was an exercise bike, and uh, so we got that, and this week I finally got around to assembling the bike. You can tell I'm really on it, right? <laughs> I'm all over this thing. I am right on it. And, uh, and, you know, I, so I take the thing out of the box, and there's lots of different parts and little baggies and, and nuts and bolts and things and the different things. And, you know, I thought, yeah, I can probably figure this out. But there was this handy, handy instruction book with pictures <laughs> and arrows pointing to things, and I decided that it would probably be better for me to follow the instructions since I wanted the bike to actually work. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be so embarrassing if it didn't work and I got on it, but it, my wife's going to get on it. And if it doesn't work, that's a little embarrassing because I didn't do it right. So uh, I wanted the bike to work so that, uh, so that for my wife's sake, I could become a gloriously more fit and healthy Scott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just kidding. However, in a similar way, God who has given us marriage has also given us instructions to follow so that our marriages will work well for both. So that we might have a more gloriously fit and healthy marriage. Specifically, that, uh, that husbands and wives in the church would have more spirit-filled marriages and more faithfully reveal the gospel of Christ. I was pretty excited about the title of my sermon, The Spirit-Filled Gospel-Revealing Message. That's a lot. That's a lot of good stuff, and and I think it comes from our passage today. So so my question to you this morning would be, do you want want a healthy, well-fitted, joyful, thankful, loving, and lasting marriage? And if you're not currently married, don't think that it's okay to check out and take a nap this morning. You need to understand biblical Christian marriage, how it works well, and why. For some of you, marriage is in your future, and you need to know these things ahead of time. And whether marriage is in your future or not, you should have a genuine interest in your married brothers and sisters and be prayerful in support of them. So this matters to everyone. And our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to, 20 to 33, and your sermon outline will help you. You'll see this kind of, kind of clunky, but really helpful summary in the sermon theme. A wife is to submit to her husband's headship. She helps him by respecting him and does so willingly in reverence to Christ. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He nourishes and cherishes her in the one flesh relationship. And this spirit-filled marriage reveals the wisdom of the mystery of Christ and his church. Let's see if we can flesh out that summary as we read through this together. I'm going to read the passage, and I'm going to begin in verse 21, which we covered last week, so you're not unfamiliar with it. This is the Word of God. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Excuse me. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Let me back up just a little bit, get a little broader picture here as we think about the book of Ephesians. And let me just ask you, how do you like the book of Ephesians so far? I mean, how do you like Paul's letter to this church? Is it encouraging to you? Is it amazingly glorious to you? I mean, when we started, we remember that this, this letter is the one that's described as being amazingly glorious, singing with praise to the grace of God. Do you find it? Have you found it to be filled with good news? Is our God praiseworthy? Based on the things that he has done for us in chapters 1 through 3, and based on the way that he has called us and enabled us to behave, to to act, to live, to walk in the remaining chapters? I think he's praiseworthy. I think he's done good things. Think about it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins against him, but he made us alive in Christ. Jesus' blood brought forgiveness for our sins. We were without God and without hope in the world, but he adopted us as sons and brought us into his household, his family. In Christ, we have been brought near to God and near to one another in peace. Now, together, we are the temple of God, in which God dwells by his Holy Spirit. This this is the goal of God, that he would be with his people. We are the church of God through whom the manifold wisdom of God is now being made known. That's quite a purpose. And we are the one body of Christ, him being the head. Christ is the head, we are his body. This is glorious news. And all according to God's plan and purpose to exalt Christ above all things and to unite all things on earth and in heaven under him. Because the church has a role to play in God's plan, Paul then has instructions for us to follow so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And these instructions are glorious too. I mean, do you want to just remain a sinner in your sinfulness and in your sinful walk? These are glorious instructions. Because we are the body of Christ, we are to submit to his headship. Our responsibility in the role of Christ's body is to walk with one another in humility and gentleness and patience and love. And in this way, we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Christ, who is our head, fills us with himself. That's what Paul says. And because we are in Christ, we're to walk in love. We're responsible to love one another with generosity and kindness 
and tenderness and forgiveness. And because we are light, we're to walk as light. Bearing together the fruit of all that is good and right and true. That sounds nice. That sounds good, right, and true. We're responsible to imitate God who is our Father to do what's pleasing to Him. Isn't that what you want to do? Now last week, Paul told us to watch carefully how we walk. To submit to the wisdom and the will of God. And then he gave us three ways to walk in wisdom. One, praising God with joyful singing from our hearts. Two, thanking God for everything in all ways. And three, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not only does the indwelling Holy Spirit prompt us to walk in these ways, but Paul says walking in these ways promotes the Spirit's filling us with himself. That sounds like a wise way to walk. If you would walk wisely in submission, you'll be filled with the Spirit of God. And in the way of submitting, Paul lists three relationships in the church that involve wise submitting that bring the filling of the Holy Spirit. And everybody wants that. And then we read these two words. Wives, submit. Wives, submit. In our day, when we read Paul's instructions, wives, submit, we forget that this is the most glorious, inspiring, encouraging, beautiful, and welcoming letter of the entire New Testament. Why? Why do we suddenly lose our minds? It's because in our day, the instruction to submit in the context of any relationship, is unwelcome. It's even hated. For some people, it's unconscionable to even think or conceive of such a thing. Let me just conduct a quick experiment. Consider in front of you, imagine in front of you, a, a sheet of white paper. There's a line right down the middle, so the, the sheet is split into two columns. There's a heading at the top. And the heading reads... When I think of submission, I think of, okay, and on the, on the left column, these are the words that are written. When I think of submission, I think of blessing, joy, freedom, and life. And the words written on the column on the right are, when I think of submission, I think of overreach. Heavy-handed, unfair advantage, abuse. So which column does your mind rush to? The column on the right is the lens by which our present-day culture sees the word submit. But the column on the left is the lens by which the Bible sees the word submit. This morning, you need to take off your cultural lenses and put on your biblical lenses. Everything we just recapped as the glorious things in Ephesians, every blessing, joy, freedom, and life itself, come by submitting. Submitting to the will of God. 
submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submitting our lives to a new lifestyle that fits our new identity in Christ. We are the people who walk together in love, light, and wisdom. We submit ourselves to do that. And so we're called to wisely Christ-ordered submission. So what's the context of being submissive? What's the context of being submissive in Ephesians? The context of the instruction for wives to submit to their own husbands, the environment of that submission is what? How would you describe it? What kind of a picture would you draw? Is it a picture of you know, ice and a gray sky, or is it a green field and flowers and sunshine? What's, what's the environment? What's the context? Well, it's the context of all Ephesians, which we recapped. It's the context of the grace of God and the love of Christ and the sure and certain seal of the indwelling Holy Spirit for the glorious inheritance of God that is already ours. And the environment of submission is the environment of blessing, forgiveness and confidence, humility, gentleness, patience, unity, and peace, generosity, kindness, and tenderness, goodness, righteousness, truthfulness, and love. That's the context and the environment of this instruction. It's the context of love and tenderness. It's in that context that wives are called to submit to their own husbands. Again, you need to take off the lens of culture and put on the lens of the Bible. Imagine for a minute this letter being read to the church in Ephesus the very first time. The very first time. Paul's written it. He's mailed it off. It arrives in Ephesus. The pastor picks it up. He reads the entire letter, including uh, chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, on wives and husbands. Now, imagine the congregation. Who in that church was overjoyed by it? And who in that church was overwhelmed by it? Wives or husbands? Wives in that culture were already subject to their husbands based on cultural norms and laws and legal status. These Christian wives are now called to submit to their own husbands whom Christ has made responsible for them. Totally, completely, radically different than what they were doing before. The wives in Ephesus were overjoyed to this call to submit to their own husbands. You know, the word authority does not appear in the text, but the reality of the husband's authority does. Husbands in that culture already had complete authority over their wives. What Paul has done is assign those Christian husbands the responsibility for the well-being of their wives. Totally, completely, radically different than what it was before. In fact, nowhere in the ancient Near East, no religion, no philosophy that commanded husbands to love their wives. None. Except Christianity. Their authority, their position of headship is to be used no longer to bless themselves, but to bless their wives. It's the husbands who were overwhelmed and the wives who were overjoyed. 
at Christ's ordering of Christian marriage in this way. Notice that Christ's ordering of marriage is not based on culture's idea of marriage. Not Paul's culture. Not our culture. Our cultural expectations of those who choose to get married is the very opposite of the culture in Paul's day. But our roles as wives and husbands are just as God assigned them in his wisdom so that we would walk in them and be filled with his spirit. Doesn't matter what year, what century, what epoch. There's a fruit to being submissive in this way. The roles of wife and husband come from the wisdom of God. Here's how it flows. You know, starting with our message last week, beginning in verse 15. Here's how it flows. Verse 15, walk as wise. Verse 18, and be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, by submitting to one another in these ways. Verse 22, wives submitting to their husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, children obeying their parents. Chapter 6, verse 5, bondservants obeying their masters. You know that those are coming in the subsequent weeks, right? You are to walk as wise, being filled with the Holy Spirit when you walk this way in submission, in submission in these particular areas. Wives to husbands, children to parents, servants to masters. Now, the question is, why does Paul give us these instructions for the household here? You see, those three sets of relationships would have been common in a single household in Ephesus. Mom, dad, kids, household servants. So they're all, they're all in the same household, that's why they're being addressed. It's actually very practical according to God's plan. Let me just walk through this a little bit. It's God's plan for the church to display the wisdom of God, right? Ephesians. It is God's plan for the church to display the wisdom of God. One household of God in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace. That's the wisdom of God. He saved us, brought us together, and we actually live together and like one another. And we act like his children. So Paul gives instructions to the members of his household, God's household, to maintain our oneness in Christ and to continue as a display of God's wisdom. If we don't maintain our spirit of unity and the bond of peace, then we're a display of not the wisdom of God, right? But we're to be a display of the wisdom of God, and so we're to maintain and walk in these ways so that we we maintain that display. And in chapter 4, God gave us church shepherds and teachers to lead the church. Now, look at the church that Paul is writing to. In the one household of God, whom he has given instructions so that they can all walk well together, in the one household of God, there are many individual households, families. And those households need to reflect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace so that the greater household reflects the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But if they won't, if they won't, if, if everyone's in charge there won't be unity or peace. If nobody's in charge, imagine that family. There will not be unity or peace. And so God assigned husbands responsibility for their household. And wives are to submit to their own husband's leadership in the household. This is the wisdom of God, to bless every marriage with peace and unity. You see, that marriage, that household, people won't be bumping heads trying to to make the final decision. Husbands and wives who walk in this wisdom will be filled with the Spirit and have 
spirit-filled messages. That's what Paul's telling us. I mean, there's no real surprise, is there? That our culture gets this wrong. But the Bible gets it right. So let's look at verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What's clear throughout this passage, we've already read it once and part of it twice, the pattern for marriage, the role for husbands and wives, is Christ in the church. That's the pattern. It's set. It's set by God. Paul has made the headship of Christ over his body, the church, clear throughout the entire letter. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. And Paul put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There are many other references. I'll just stop there. By grace through faith, we have been made alive in Christ. We have been brought near in Christ. And we are maturing in Christ. So Paul can't help when he starts thinking about those things from reminding us that Christ is the Savior. I mean, he throws that in there, right? His Savior. Well, that's about Christ. That's not about husbands. But it hints at what Paul's later going to say to husbands in verse 25. He's going to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So at least wives see that submitting to their own husbands as the church does Christ, is not a bad thing, but a good thing. Not a foolish thing, but a wise thing. Not a take-away thing, but a blessing thing. Just as submitting to Christ brings blessing, God-ordered submission in marriage brings blessing. Peace, unity, and oneness. Peace, unity, and oneness. Just for a second. Just for a second. Think about marriages you know that don't have peace, unity, and oneness. And what they would be willing to do or pay to have it if they would only know that this is God's design, His instructions. God has authority over you, God has authority over your marriage. In his wisdom, God mediates his authority through the husband. Authority is not about value. Authority is about roles. Authority has, has no touch on values. It's about roles. Wife and husband are of equal value before the Lord. Authority comes into play when each is assigned a different role and given different responsibilities. You see... Authority always follows responsibility. Roles that don't change the relational foundation, which is already laid, by the way. That's why we spent some time going over the context of this submission and of these instructions. Wives and husbands are already walking together in humility and tenderness and gentleness and patience, forbearance and love as believers. These things are already in place. When believers marry, they don't do less of those things. They do more of them for their spouse. And they accept their God-given roles patterned on 
Christ and his bride, the church. That's the pattern. It's not going to change. It's not going to shift. It's always going to be good, right, and true. And so wives should acknowledge, respect, and follow their husband's leadership. So verse 22 and verse 24 basically say the same thing. Just as the church submits to Christ her Savior, you are to submit yourself to your own husband in everything. The clear pattern to be followed is Christ and the church. So, so how does the church submit to Christ? Well, let me say it this way. The church acknowledges the headship of Jesus and follows his leadership in all areas. Is that fair? Is that fair? Without using too many theological terms, just, just kind of everyday terms, the church acknowledges the headship of Jesus and follows his leadership in all areas. So, so, wives respond to your husband in his God-given role as you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ in his God-given role. Respond in that way. Acknowledge his role as head of the marriage. Respect his God-given responsibility to lead and provide and protect you. Your call to submit and remain submitted to your husband, that's, that's the use of that verb, it's sustained, your call to submit and remain submitted to your husband in everything is not the picture of a wife obeying a daily list of commands without any voice in the matter. It's not that picture. It's the picture of a wife cultivating an attitude of respect for her husband's position and his responsibility in reverence to Christ. So wives, develop a disposition to yield to your husband's leadership. Wives, foster an inclination to follow his lead. It's not that you can't talk about it, but foster an inclination to follow his lead. A submissive spirit may not be valued in our culture, but it is valued by God as righteous. A submissive spirit is righteous. I want to be clear. We talked about this last week. Submit means submit. But submit doesn't look like our culture's caricature of it, which is what we're all used to. You know, it's, it's something we have to bust through before we can see clearly. It's something we have to demolish before we can build what Paul's saying here in the Bible. Paul places the wife's submission to her husband under the heading of wisdom. So Paul's instruction to look carefully, wives, how you submit to your husband is in play, right? Verse 16, look carefully how you walk as wise and not as unwise. See, there are a couple of protections here. Do not obey your husband if he leads you to sin. No, wouldn't do that. Not even to sin against conscience. In that case, your marriage may need help and you should call the church. And do not obey your husband if he places you in danger or is, is physically abusive. In that case, you need help and you should call the police and then you should call your church. Your submission to your husband is ultimately submission to God. And so, its limitations, the limitations of your submission to your husband are, are contained in the Word of God. There are biblical limits to biblical submission, so that wives are submitting to their own husbands in the context of love and tenderness that's found in Ephesians. 
Submission is not blind or foolish. That would not please God. Paul says, do the things that are wise, the things that are pleasing to God. Rather, submission is wise. It brings the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it is done out of reverence to Christ, who blesses with unity and peace. Husbands, we need far more instruction, it appears, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. There are There are two pictures of how it is that a husband is to lead his wife. And once again, the pattern for marriage, the roles of husbands and wives, is Christ and the church. As Christ loved the church, husbands are to love their wives. So in what ways did Christ love the church? Christ is the Savior of the church, his bride. On the cross, Jesus gave his life for her. By his gospel word, he washed her sins away. He sanctified her. He clothed her with his righteousness. And he will one day present her to himself in the splendor of his holiness, in the glory of his holiness. Now, a husband can't do those particular things. But he can love as Christ loved. Sacrificially. Sacrificially for his wife's betterment. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Husband, lead your wife so that she flourishes in her role as a wife and in her life in Christ. Lead her selflessly. Sacrifice for her willingly, not grudgingly. Put off the old husband and put on the new self-serving, you know, the old self-serving husband, and put on the new husband who serves his wife, who initiates things with his wife. Not, not that bum, you know, sunk down in the sofa that she's got to pry out to do anything. Don't be him. Be driven to do good to your wife daily in real ways. Husbands, we are to take our cues from Christ and love our wives sacrificially. We want to grow as husbands who are easy for our wives to desire to submit to. Because you're just that good. The second uh, idea, picture that Paul gives is in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. You know, this, this picture, Christ the head, the church the body, us united together with Christ is throughout Ephesians and it's the basis here. Here's the second way to look at Christ loving the church. Just as Christ cares for the church because we are his body, husbands are to care for their wives. Because husbands and wives are one body, aren't they? Aren't they? 
In verse 31, Paul will quote Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which establishes marriage as the one flesh relationship in which husband and wife are no longer two, but one. Right? Yes. United before God in one flesh. So when husbands care for their wives, they're actually caring for themselves. You're caring for your oneself. See, that's a motivation. Not a motivation to be selfish, but to be selfless. Christ nourishes and cherishes his bride, the church. So, husbands, we are to nourish and cherish our wives. Nourish and cherish may not be gears we are used to operating in. Unless you're extremely sensitive. We need to become known to our wives as nourishers and cherishers. We we are allowed to grow in these things and to develop in these things and to mature in these things. Isn't that what Paul has talked about in us as the church? To grow into the maturity of Christ. And Christ is our example here. Christ nourishes the church with his word and he cherishes the church by his constant and continual attention to her. You understand that, right? We were lost in our trespasses and sin. Christ initiated Christ came to seek and to save the lost. We were just lost in our sin. He's he's coming after us like a good shepherd for lost sheep. And he he does the work of making us alive in him, his, his sacrifice on the cross. And he's ascended to God, the right hand of God the Father, and he's interceding for us even now and still being an acceptable sacrifice for our sin even now. He's he's constantly attentive to us. You don't even have to speak, you think, and he knows. And he cares. That's Christ. Husbands, consider your own belonging to Christ. And his constant care and provision for you. Now care for your wife in the same way. And listen. You must be a spiritual man a man of the word, a man who loves and is devoted to Christ in order to nourish your wife spiritually. So if you feel like a fish out of water here, you need to get into the word of God. You need to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. You need to submit to Christ and learn how to love and nourish and cherish. Providing for her physically is a start, but you need to talk to her about the word, the gospel, and the church. So let me say this here. Any secular therapist will tell you that marriage is hard work, and there's a lot of give and take, and that is certainly true as far as it goes. But Christian marriage goes much farther beyond mere behavior and whatever is pragmatic, to heart-deep obedience to Christ. To love sacrificially as he commands you to love sacrificially. And he knows sacrificial love. Wives, your call to submit to your husband is not based upon his competence to nourish 
and to cherish you. You are to submit to him out of reverence to Christ. He is your one flesh. Submit to his headship. Trust God to lead through him. Husbands, your call to love your wife is not based on her degree of submission. You are to nourish and cherish her out of reverence to Christ. And she needs you to do this. Our wives are entirely competent to carry out the same functions that we carry out. Men, whether you feel qualified or not, you are the leader of the home. You are responsible. And your wife will be blessed if you would embrace this role. Marriage preaches the mystery of the gospel. Look with me at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is a profoundness, Paul says, in this one flesh relationship as he quotes Genesis chapter 2. Have you noticed that in his instruction to husbands and wives, Paul talks more about Christ than he does about husbands and wives? Did you notice it? It's overwhelming. And it's actually quite revealing. Just when we want to get out the microscope and examine submission, Paul keeps us talking about Jesus as he has throughout the letter, which is where our focus is to be. I'll say it again, marriage and the role of the husband to lead and the wife to submit to his leadership is the wisdom of God for the purpose of filling us with his spirit, which is why it follows that pattern of Christ and the church. This is the wisdom of God. Throughout the letter, Paul has been revealing the mystery of Christ, hasn't he? I mean, it's been a while since we've seen it. The mystery of God's great Cosmic plan to sum everything up in Christ back in chapter 1. The mystery of Gentiles are now included in the new covenant in chapter 2. The mystery of the gospel that saves. The mystery of God's purpose for the church to be a display of his manifold wisdom. I thought Paul was done revealing the mystery of Christ, but here he has one more revelation. First, it's the purpose of God for the one flesh relationship between husband and wife to be a revelation, a revealing of the gospel. The wife's submission to her husband's headship and the husband's sacrificial care for his wife to whom he's united points to the gospel on which it is patterned. Marriage is to the praise and glory of God. It points to Christ and his church and salvation. But that means that the truly profound mystery that Paul is revealing is the one flesh relationship between Christ and his bride. Who knew that? Paul says, this is the mystery. This is what I'm talking about in the one flesh relationship. Paul's wise instructions to wives and husbands point to the greater wisdom of salvation and the oneness and the unity of believers in Jesus Christ who is Lord. That's the profound mystery revealed. By the grace of God, through the sacrificial blood of Christ, by faith in the Savior, We, the church, are one body, and Christ is the head. 
with biblical lenses, we see that submission and authority are not cold institutional words. They are profoundly relational words. They are profoundly intimate, one-body words. They are wise and spirit-filling words. If husbands and wives would walk in their wisdom out of reverence for Christ, you can have a spirit-filled, gospel-revealing marriage. Nonetheless, to get back to the people in the church, Paul, Paul, Paul zooms back in and says, oh, I was talking to husbands and wives. Let me just recap, let me just bottom line this, and these are the words that he uses in, chapter, in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, let the wife see takes us back to verse 15, doesn't it? Look carefully how you walk, not as wise, but unwise. We're still under this umbrella of wisdom walking. How can we walk wisely in marriage so that we're filled with the Spirit? I mean, first, you have to decide that you're interested in being filled with the Spirit. You have to decide that that is a blessing of God. Uh, you have to decide that I'm desirous of that. There's a way to be filled with the Spirit? Yes. Walk in the wisdom of God. Husbands, love your wives, Paul concludes. Don't think of your home as your castle, your armchair as your throne, and your wife as your servant. Don't be that guy. Get up and sacrifice for her well-being. Spend your time wisely nourishing her. Always cherish her. In her, the Bible says, you have found a good thing. In these ways, lead like Christ. So here's a little something to get you started, men. Ask her. Hmm? What? Hmm? Ask her. Initiate. Ask her in what way she would like to be nourished and cherished. Well, if I do that, I mean... The floodgates may open. <laughs> you know what that could do to my to-do list? That's right. But that's your responsibility. That's what God's called you to do. Ask her in what way she would like to be nourished and cherished. She's unique. And it's up to you to find specific ways to apply the wisdom of God in your marriage in nourishing and cherishing her. You know, that's the, that's, the, that's the rubric every time we talk about God's will and his wisdom, right? We've seen it twice. If you're going to, if you're going to walk in wisdom, if you're going to apply wisdom, here are some general principles, God says. Now you need to figure out how to apply them in your daily life, right? Wisdom's the same way in marriage. You, husband, and you, wife, are unique. And your relationship, your one flesh, is unique. You have principles by which you are now to operate, roles that God has given to you, so that you can have peace and unity and love in your marriage. So that your marriage, will, along with the other marriages in the church, will reflect the wisdom of God to everyone around us and even those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
you have to work together. Asking questions, following up, helping, learning, growing in your relationship with one another so that you're always nourishing better and that you're always cherishing more. That's how wisdom works. You have to find the specific ways to apply God's wisdom to fulfill your responsibility to your wife in marriage. So get after it. Wives, Paul concludes, obey your husbands. Wives, don't use your words to manipulate and guilt your husband into action. You were created to be his helpmate. Ask yourself, how can I be helpful to this man? Ask him, how might I be helpful to you? He's a man. He doesn't talk much. Floodgates won't open if you ask him that question. But you might get a kernel or two that would help you to be a better helpmate. Cultivate a submissive spirit. Wives, have this attitude. I want to be easy for my husband to lead, not difficult. Tell him I love you. Say I'm for you. And make him believe it. We are equal in value before God and complementary in our roles in marriage. It's very simple. I'll say it again. We are equal in value before God and we are complementary in our roles in marriage. This is patterned after Christ and his church, which is a picture of the uniting wisdom of God, the saving wisdom of God, the gospel to the praise of his glorious grace. Gosh, marriage is pretty important. It's never too early. And it's never too late to have a healthy, well-fitted, joyful, thankful, loving, and lasting marriage. Listen to the instructions. Put it together well. Walk in the wisdom of God's roles for wives and husbands joyfully. And thankfully, and be filled with the Spirit of God. It's a promised blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Father, for good instructions. Good instructions for husbands and wives that we might experience peace and unity, and love. And that together, we might always, as a church, reflect the wisdom of God in these ways. Lord, help us to be selfless. Help us to be other-oriented, particular with our spouses in marriage. And Lord, we do pray to the extent that we are obedient to this. You would fill us with your spirit. You would be with us. We would know you and grow in you. It's our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.